What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hey guys, it's Jen, and I am super excited about today because it's marking the second season of Miss Education, and I am just blown away, number one, by the fact that people actually listen to anything I have to say. That's <laughs> very surprising to me. Um, I think that it has to do primarily with the guests that I've had on the, on the show so far. Um, I know that. I don't think that. I know that. Um, I think that... I am very fortunate in having some great connectors in my life who have connected me to really amazing people in the education landscape in San Antonio. And the other reason I'm so excited about today is because I'm sitting in front of one of those people that I was connected to um, just via mutual friends. And she's pretty amazing. Her name is Stephanie. And I'm going to let her do a quick introduction. And then we're going to get right into it. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank Thank you. you. Well, jinx. (laughs) We just said thank you at the same time. Um, Well... I have I have to disagree with you because yes, your guests are amazing, but I think your facilitation of conversations is also amazing. And oh, I'm thanks. a avid listener of the podcast. I've listened to every episode, yay, <laughs> some more <you>. than once, <laughs> which I should maybe be embarrassed to admit. Um, so I'm super honored to be here. So thank you for having me. Thank you. I will say it's the wine. And I will tell you that there is wine here today. Um, We can't have it without it. I was almost late to this recording because I needed to stop and get a bottle of wine, which is terrible. And I won't tell you what time of the day it is. (laughs) But know that that is part of the reason why having the conversations flow so naturally. So thank you for drinking a glass of wine with me, too. Oh, always. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I'm Stephanie Mendeloff. um, And I'll tell you a little bit about my professional history to start. So... I've been in education for 10 years. Um, I started as a teacher in the third ward of Houston, where I taught English uh, reading intervention to sixth and seventh graders. Uh, I also taught photography and magazine writing on the weekends and after school, Um, and eventually became the English department chair at the school where I was working, which meant that my job was to support um, instructionally all of the English teachers on that campus. After that, I moved to New York on kind of a whim. so jealous. (laughs) But... During that time, I worked in uh, the nonprofit sector. I worked for an arts and literary nonprofit, actually two separate ones, and my job was to support them in developing education programming um, and to design like curricular tools for um, teachers to use on their campuses. how did you hear about him? I'm just curious. How did I hear? Uh, I don't know. The same way I hear about everything, just just being just, present, yeah. being around, just looking, yeah, <laughs> being a yeah. an active seeker, yeah. of opportunities, um, yeah, and knowing that I wanted to stay connected to education, um, but it was a time in my life where I was sort of like uh, coming to understand what my uh, role, what I what I really felt like my role in education could and should be Mm -hmm. um and so yeah i was just actively looking for ways to to figure that out 
Um, and so after that, I ended up going to grad school at UT where I studied curriculum and instruction. Um, and after that, I started working for Idea Public Schools, which is a charter school here in San Antonio, but Austin, also in Austin in the Rio Grande Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and my job there was I worked on the program innovation team and I, my official title was individualized learning manager, which meant that I supported school leaders with implementation of blended nice. learning programs at their schools. Um, and then I eventually became in charge of blended learning programs um, for the secondary schools at mm-hmm. IDEA um, in all three regions. And, th- and there, my job was to design um, what those experiences look like for kids. Um, so all of the curriculum materials, all of the instructional materials, and then disseminate that out to teachers and support them in implementing it. Mm-hmm. And I just left that job over the summer to start CREA, which is an education nonprofit whose mission is to grow the next generation of creative leaders across disciplines. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that today. But Definitely. Uh, so whenever I first met you, um, it was through our metro, our mutual friend, um, Brian. Yeah. And actually, you you also just sent me a message right, yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm an active speaker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I appreciate because yeah. I'm not. So I actually require people like you in my life. Otherwise, yeah. I would know no one. So it's a good thing that you reached perfect out to match. me. Yes, it was a perfect match. Um, and so when we sat down to talk, it really wasn't about the podcast. It wasn't about... It was really just like, hey, I think we have some common interests. Like mm-hmm. so We have a mutual friend and he said we should sit down and talk to each other. Yep. And instantly I was drawn in by your personal story. Oh, and yeah, I, I, um, I think it really resonated with me and I feel like it's, the per- it's your personal story that sort of led you in the direction that, of work that you've been in. For oh, me- totally, yeah. You know? um, so I would like for you to take a second sure. um, and just tell us a little bit about how you how you came into education to begin with like why is this important to you yeah (sighs) i'm gonna take a breath because the nerves are kicking in (laughs) um okay so yeah i grew up in houston um to an amazing family that i love very very much and one of the key influencers in my life um is my grandfather who is a holocaust survivor he immigrated to america after surviving the horrendous experience of the holocaust Having lost, yeah, he's an amazing guy. He's still alive. He's still Um, alive. Yeah, he's ninety four. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and uh, and just incredible in so many ways. But he um, he was the sole survivor of his family. He was the sole survivor of the village that he was born into, and he came to America really to live out the American dream. Um, And his story is hugely influential in my life and in my family's mythology and history. And he came alone? He he came came. alone. He came knowing no one, with no resources, with no more than a middle school education. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he he really is like the patriarch of my family in so many ways. Um, And he really raised me and my siblings and and my parents. um, Right. And the entire family on the catchphrase that the one thing no one can take away from you, no matter what happens, is your education, which is a beautiful message and a message that I think rings true for so many people. It definitely rang true with me. Yeah. That's why I'm saying like when we first (laughs) met and you first told me that story, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Totally different experiences, but still similar in their message. Yeah. Our our grandfathers, right? That education is what equalizes so many things for so many mm-hmm. people and it's irrevocable when you totally when you can read you can never unread 
mm-hmm. and not know how to read again. Mm-hmm. Like you just, it is the gift. Like yeah. that's it. You have it. It's yours. No one can take it from you. Yeah, absolutely. And my grandpa placed a lot of faith in our schooling. Um, and and the story gets a little complicated when I come in because I, it, as it turned out, was not very good at school. And um, because of my grandpa's story, uh, my family very very placed a lot of value on academic success. Sure. Um, and I wasn't measuring up <laughs> very early on in my educational experience. I, you know, was labeled ADD in I think second grade. Um, I very quickly learned that I didn't like school. Mm-hmm. Um, I received pullout services. I have one like very vivid memory of my third grade teacher putting a cardboard box around my desk to block my peripheral vision because I was like constantly staring out the window watching the birds. She's <laughs> <laughs> um, like, we need to limit the distraction. Yeah. She was like, you got to look forward at the board. Like this isn't going to work. <laughs> um, and so I just quickly... I quickly learned that school wasn't a place for me. Um, It wasn't a place that was fun. It wasn't a place where I felt successful. It wasn't a place that lit me up in any way. Um, And for a long time, I believed because school wasn't for me that I wasn't smart. So not doing well well in school to me translated to not being smart. Um, And I carried that belief with me for a long time. Yeah. Um, It really wasn't until I had a... Um, the opportunity to go to an alternative school for high school that things started to turn around for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still wasn't the best student in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of, what was the, what was the was, alternate program? That, it was a private, I got to go to a like private school. Okay. Um, and it was also a new school. So it was mm-hmm. very like progressive mm-hmm. um, and very much like taking shape in real time while I was there. So I, mm-hmm. the students were a big part of deciding like what the school was going to look like. Yeah. Um, and I got to take, I mean, I still had to take like, you know, all the standard math classes sure. and science yeah. classes. Um, but I also got to take like a philosophy class and um, a creative writing class and a class about cooking, like all sorts of other classes. And so although I wasn't like top of my class all of a sudden, I definitely started to see myself in places where I was engaged and interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to see that I was, you know, a creative, smart, capable kid like anyone else. Um, and I started to see myself as an effective learner, which I hadn't for so long. Yeah. Um, and so I, it was then that I really became interested in how schools work and why they privilege such a narrow definition of intelligence of, and success and success. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think you are right on so many points. Like I think it's not just the students who aren't successful that that glean their I- identity. I think it's even the kids that are successful oh, totally. that glean their identity. Like you, you can be really successful at school. And you start to think like, oh, look how smart I am. I'm so, Mm -hmm. so smart. And then something comes along that challenges you and you're devastated because you think, oh my gosh, I'm really not smart at all. Like I can't can't do what I thought I could do. Mm -hmm. So that must mean that all these preconceived notions I've had of myself must not be true. So now I'm just not a smart person. Like I have, I've reached my limit or I'm as smart as I'll ever be um, because I can't go any further than than where I am right now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's... It's kind of a both. Yeah, I always say that school shapes our identities in so many unexpected ways. Very unexpected and unintentional. Yeah. Because I, I would I would 
shudder to think that your teacher wanted you to oh, feel of course not yeah. the way that you felt like there's yeah. no way you know and I will tell you that I I in my own practice have seen um the cardboard on the desk many times because <laughs> it it is a quick and easy fix and yeah. it's not it's very cost effective and mm-hmm. it does work for some students some students just need the opportunity to focus on what's right in front of them and maybe not focus um, on what's happening at their neighbor's table <laughs> yeah. or, or right outside their window. Yeah. So I think like, gosh, it's unintentional. There's mm-hmm. no way that somebody would have known that that would have left you feeling the way that it left you feeling. Yeah. But sometimes it does. And that's why mm-hmm. when we were talking, I thought, this is a story that we ought to tell. Yeah. Um, because there are at least some students who are feeling like, I'm, I'm just not good at this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then there are also ways in which our education system may not mean to impact student identity, but if we really think about the ways that we're operating, it's not all that surprising yeah. that the outcomes are what they are. Like I was just reading uh, uh, a Ken Robinson book, who's mm-hmm. like, I'm like a Ken Robinson like yeah. groupie. Um, <laughs> and he was talking about, you know, we cut funding to to certain programs and then we wonder why our students are like uninspired and unimaginative and <laughs> and so there are there are places in which like the design of our school of kids schooling experiences has a direct impact on the way that their totally that their identity develops um yeah so. i mean i was having my oldest son is a sophomore in high school um elijah i'm just going to tell this story i love you i'm sorry um <laughs> and he and i and and my husband got into this really deep conversation the other night. It was completely unexpected. I think it was like, "Hey, son, how was your day?" And then and then it just like a deep dive into philosophy mm-hmm. because he is taking world history mm-hmm. and he just started talking about how he didn't have any uh, idea of all of the different kinds of religion Mm. and the root that they have in the way people operate. Like Mm. why, why it, or what the correlation is between what you believe and how you behave and how so many things are rooted in this desire to figure out what might happen if you die. And so he just went like completely into this whole philosophical conversation of like how curious he is about different theologies and about different um, economic systems in other places and how those two things might be related or might not be related and what he really thinks. And he asked, uh, well, he, he didn't necessarily ask exactly what Carlos and I believe, but we, I asked him, do you know like what I believe as Mm -hmm. a human being, like my own personal self, do you know what it is that I believe? And he was like, well, no. I mean, I know what I hear when we go to church, but yeah. I don't necessarily know what you think about that. And mm-hmm. he doesn't necessarily know what he thinks about that. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, well, you know, I bet that those are common things that kids think of mm-hmm. um, that we don't just pull out of them. I mean, he was, I, we didn't do any hard work to get that out yeah. of him. We just simply asked, like, how was your day today? Totally. You know, and he just yeah unloaded all of this thought process that he had during his world history class but how often does that happen internally and no one ever it doesn't ever make itself out of their head 
But they are thinking about those Mm -hmm. really deep, really complex things and formulating an identity because that's what it came down to. It's like, I don't know what I believe. And I'm Mm -hmm. not sure I have all of the information to formulate an opinion anyway because I'm only 16. And I feel like now I know that I know, I know that I don't know a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So he's just, and I told him like, oh, dude, it's fine. I'm 42 (laughs) and I don't know (laughs) half the time exactly what I'm, what I think. Um, But I, just to your point of being aware that students are developing their sense of identity in our classrooms. Mm-hmm. And intentionally or unintentionally, we're helping shape that little identity. Totally. All of the time. In yeah. every situation, whether it's an academic situation or any other circumstance mm-hmm. that happens in a schoolhouse, we're still helping shape that identity mm-hmm. um, whether we're thinking it through or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think somehow when you're in the, the daily work of being an educator, it can be hard to remember that, and I've heard you say this on the pa- podcast, that students are, are just humans with totally. motivations and interests and aspirations and hopes and dreams and curiosities and little identities that are coming into being. Um, and I also, I'm just like gonna keep referencing all the podcasts, that you, <laughs> other podcasts. I'm not gonna stop I, you. <laughs> so my point in, in all of that is that you were starting to shape your identity mm-hmm. because of what you were experiencing yes. in school. Um, experiences that sometimes your teachers were thoughtful in design and mm-hmm. sometimes it was unintentional, right? Yeah. These, these things happen to you, but that is what stuck with you. So mm-hmm. you started to develop like this sense of identity of who you are totally. and what you are able to do. Yeah. And, and I so don't, then what? Then Well, I think one thing to pull out here is that my story is not unique. And I and I know that for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is that when I tell it, people are like, Me too. Yeah. Um and I think that there are so many students who feel alienated by school because their kind of intelligence or their um, way of learning or their personal interests aren't valued in our school system. Um, And when they leave school, oftentimes they don't know what they have to offer because what they have to offer wasn't valued in their schooling experience or even worse, what they have to offer was stigmatized by their schooling Mm -hmm. experience. And so in thinking and having this like kind of transformative schooling experience in late high school and thinking about like why are schools the way that they do they are um that's really when i got interested in education and that's um that's why i went into education and that's why i wanted to be a teacher was to really to ensure that no more students go through their schooling experiences believing that they're not smart not capable not creative people um and also because you know hearing you talk about your grandpa and then my grandpa as well you know education is a is a promise yeah. to so many people and and we have to make good on that promise um and you know totally i think an education that no one can take away from you is one that has a deep impact mm-hmm. um and one that is much more than like you know i there's this one quote from i think it's alfie Cohn is his name and he asked like you know what of what you're teaching will kids remember in 10 years and i think that's a really important question because what my grandpa wanted me to take away from my schooling experience was yes a degree Um, Absolutely, because that positioned me um, in a way that opened up so many opportunities. But he really wanted me to walk away with a sense of who I was and what I have to offer the world around me, because that kind of meaningful learning experience, truly no one can take away. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I was at um, South by Southwest 
a couple of weeks ago and I heard somebody on a panel say something like, if, you, if, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher what you said, but I, this is what <laughs> I took away from it. Um, that many times school is to learn how to be compliant. Mm-hmm. But education is to learn how to be liberated. Like mm-hmm. school teaches you compliance. Education is what liberates you. Yeah. And that resonated with me because I think that that's kind of what my grandfather was telling me is Oh, totally. You, yeah. When you are when you are literate, when you have an education, when you're wise, not just smart, but mm-hmm. wise. When not it's not enough to just know things. Um, but you have to apply wisdom to what you know, mm-hmm. then then you can't be oppressed. You yeah. are liberated from the things that are oppressing you, whatever they may be. And it's different for different people. The context um, is different for, for different people. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be too hard on teachers or our school system no. because damn it, I know some really fabulous oh, teachers. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? And, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, And I feel like they are probably the hardest working. They're the ones making the change. They are. The I mean, it, and, you know, I used to, I would tell my friends, like, I don't, I, I really don't think that there are teachers in the world, n- at least none that I know, that wake up in the morning and say, like, I'm really going to mess this up for kids today. No, <laughs> like, no it, way. It just doesn't happen. They mm-hmm. are the most kind-hearted, benevolent people. Yeah. Um, who really want what we want, right? Absolutely. And yeah. I've made so many mistakes in my education career mm-hmm. that only hindsight has given me privy to me, right? Yes. They've, that's, that's the only thing is like mm-hmm. when I look back and I think through and I think, oh man, I really could have done that differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so teachers, we're not picking on you. Oh, absolutely like, we're not. not. No. We're so not picking on you. We love you. Um, we see you. But we are. what we are saying is, you get we the beauty of the work that we do is that we can become the designer mm-hmm. in those experiences yeah and that's a feel good for everyone like yep. you get to design the experience and like from your perspective you're you now the work you're doing <laughs> allows you to do just that yeah is that you can look back on your own story and say like man i think i can di- design something that would lessen what I felt for somebody else. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Like that's yeah. a really cool thing. Yeah, it is really cool. And yes, I just want to echo what you said. Like the this this is not at all to like place blame. No. Um we're just noticing. And and I think the change that is happening is happening oftentimes from the ground up. And and we had this conversation yes. a, a couple of days ago about how for kids the system is the people that they come in contact with on a daily right. basis. The system is the teacher whose classroom they go to every morning, the principal who greets them on the way into school, you know, whoever the personnel is that um, escorts them from drop off to, you right. know, and that's the system. And so yeah. there's so much power in that. Right. Um, and when you said that to me the other day, I was kind of like, you know what, you're right. And I never really thought of it. I never thought of it in that context. Like mm-hmm. I think of the system and I think of like, you know, state level decisions that are being made that trickle down into district level decisions that trickle down into campus level, dis- you know, decisions. Yeah. And that's the system that we live in, right? And when you said, well, the teacher is the system for the kids, I was like, oh, shoot, you're right. 
Yeah. We are the system for them. And so, you know, all of our decisions have a direct impact on what they can and can't do or what they think they should or shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's worth, plus, it's it's a little bit, I don't know, it's very validating to think that I am in that kind of power position. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go on a power trip, but I, it's kind of <laughs> nice to be in a power, yeah, in a powerful role and in a power position where you can say, like, I actually do control some of the levers mm-hmm. for what people are experiencing around me. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and for me, you know, starting CREA was really about giving kids opportunities to explore, discover, and apply their assets, their creative assets. And, you know, my belief is that through the creative process, kids come to understand who they are and what they love and what they have to offer the world around them. And so I'm designing programs where kids design and execute projects that are meaningful to them. Yeah. Um, And that was like my, you know, that's what I came to learn in my experience as a teacher and as an educator is that um, there's really no better way to honor who kids are as people and as learners. than through the creative process. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's like my de- design initiative. But I think what we're talking about is that every teacher should have in some capacity a design initiative, you know, because they're designing the education experience for their kids every day. Yeah, totally, um, totally. And I think, you know, we can get trapped in the mindset of being, of thinking that we're not creative, um, that we're not a creative type. And <laughs> I know that when I left, when I left, um, my full-time position in a school district, I joined my husband's team. And it's kind of funny, like we joke about it all the time, Carlos and I, that I left school and I didn't have an exact job that I was leaving to go to. I just knew I had some ideas about the kind of work that I wanted to be doing. Um, And I had some ideas about how I could help Carlos with the work that he was doing. Mm -hmm. And I was very, I was feeling very tired anyway. I was just kind of feeling a little bit burnt out (laughs) at the time. And I thought, well, this is probably a good time for me to take a step back Um, and, and sort of figure out my next move and so when I told Carlos that I was going to resign he said well what do you want to do now and I said I'm going to join the team I'm going to join your team and he's like Jen we're not hiring (laughs) I I don't know what team you You think you're joining Um, and so I, I kind of made myself a place there and then I quickly realized once I got there that they are like the team that Carlos has built at Key Ideas is a team of really creative people mm-hmm. by my own definition, right? Like right. I'm, I look at them and I think you are always ideating. They're always thinking of creative ways to master someone's story, but then retell it. So mastering it is one thing, but then you're going to retell it to somebody else and, and in, a, in such a way that they are impacted, right? In such a way that now having heard that story, I'm going to do something about it. It's, it's mm-hmm. inspiring some sort of action. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was like a different level of creativity than I would ever have assigned to myself. Like yep. I, So I felt like a fish out of water. And I thought, I'm not, he, I don't know why I volunteered for this job. I'm mm-hmm. not a creative. Like I'm not, this is not the same sort of thing um, that I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And so it took me a really long time to feel like, do I 
have any amount of creativity in me um, that would help me in this new role. Um, and over time, you know, I started thinking about, okay, what do I really want to do? I really see a gap that needs to be filled in our our, our education um, cohort, right? Like there's mm-hmm. this big, massive group of educators in San Antonio that don't know each other. I don't know them. They don't know me. How could I fill that gap? Because I feel like if we talk to each other, we're going to gain so much more information. Oh, yeah. Um, And so, you know, I just started talking to people and then they were like, that is such a creative idea. And it would blow me away all the time. (laughs) You're like, me creative? They would (laughs) label something I thought of as creative. Um, And so I think, you know, that there's, there's sort of this, I don't know, this two separate worlds of academia and creativity mm-hmm. that don't necessarily play nice with each other in mm-hmm. every circumstance. And so I'm still navigating yeah. that and I think, part of it. I mean, I have so much to say about that. I think, so the way that, the definition of creativity that is at the root of what I'm doing with CREA is um, the act of bringing something new or improved into existence. And so I think often we conflate creativity in the arts or, um, but creativity is a process of bringing an idea to fruition. Um, and that can, idea can, can live in any discipline. <laughs> you might be able to get Jen's I'm side. refilling my wine glass. <laughs> um, yeah, so creativity is not limited to one medium or one discipline. It happens across every discipline. Um, and I think the, the dichotomy, like having a, Thinking of academia as separate from creativity is actually mm-hmm. not, doesn't align with the way creativity looks in the real world, right? Like, liter- you were talking about the importance of literacy earlier, and we, we had talked previously about this quote, like, creativity is as important as literacy, which mm-hmm. I think can make people really uncomfortable because they're like, wait, like, don't supplant literacy programming with, like, arts programming. Right. But that's not what that, or to me, that's not what that quote means. Uh, but literacy isn't actually of of use unless it's animated but but unless it's an active process right right? like um and so creativity is what allows you to use whatever um discipline it is that you're working within with purpose and with intention and bring it to life you know and so like you had this idea you had this belief and like creativity is what animated it um, and so, and we also talked about like, there's no such thing as creative and not non-creative right. people. There exactly. are only cre- people who use their creativity and people who don't. Yes. Um, and creativity is a muscle like any other. Yeah. Um, and so it's just like about getting back in right. the swing of it. And we can teach kids exactly. that. Which is why I was like, well, I, there are probably other people who are like me and think, well, I am not creative. Mm-hmm. And so we're just saying, yeah, you are. Like, you are. You're so creative. Anytime you do anything new or improve upon something that's already being done, Mm -hmm. that is you being creative. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, again, like so validating for teachers in the classrooms because they're not just implementers, which is something else that that struck a chord with me when you and I talked. You can, you know, sometimes you can get lost in the fact that you are actually just implementing something else that someone designed. Mm -hmm. um, Or are you creating something and you are the designer? I think teachers have this unique opportunity to be designers, to really think of themselves as mm-hmm. creative and creators and designers. And that is just really yeah, powerful. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, teachers are making decisions every single moment. 
Um, and that in itself is creative. Like you're having to creative prob- creatively problem solve second by second. Like when the student says something that catches you off guard <laughs> and you have to respond in the moment, that's a creative act. Yeah. Um, that's pulling on your in- internal resources to address a problem that is presented to you in the moment. And like there's, that's creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and parenting is creative. Definitely. Being a business owner is creative. Being a scientist is creative. Be- like the one that we most often think about is being an artist is creative, but being a teacher is definitely creative. The it's- thing that compelled me from the beginning about teaching was the creative aspect of it. And the idea that like my job was to create conditions for which, within which students can thrive. Like there's, that's a creative process. Yes, because you can't ever predict what the set of circumstances are gonna be Mm -hmm. for the condition you've created. Like you can create the condition and then tomorrow morning something totally random happens and you're dealing with a completely new set of circumstances. Still under the premise of staying in that creative condition you know Mm -hmm. like I still have to maintain a condition in my classroom that's conducive to learning even though this weird random thing just (laughs) happened yeah like uh, even though whatever it is a rat just ran across my classroom floor or somebody's nose is bleeding uncontrollably (laughs) or yeah you know what I mean like you are still having to maintain a condition or climate that's conducive to learning which means that you are always thinking on the fly all the time mm-hmm. even in your even even in your most planned out day yeah. you're still thinking no, nothing's on predictable. the fly <laughs> nothing about teaching is predictable yeah um so when we sat down when i sat down to think about what is season two gonna look like on miseducation um i have some great thought partners and and they you included have sat down with me and said okay here are some things about season one that really stuck out to me and here are some things that i think we could continue the conversation um in season two and one thing that was kind of recurring is that the whole point of miseducation is to bring to light some things that might be misperceptions right Mm -hmm. they might be and I say might, but in reality, in my experience, these are misperceptions that people have. Um, And I realize that's a huge generalization. So if you are way beyond what I'm about to say, thank (laughs) you. Congratulations. We appreciate that. But I still think that there are many people, even like like myself, that have still these hangups, like I'm not creative, which is not true. That's a misconception. Mm-hmm. I, we are very creative. Um, and I think also that, you know, I still think there are many people who would describe teaching in terms that are not the way that teachers would describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those one of those things is that, you know, it's not a very complicated thing to do mm-hmm. which is infuriating <laughs> <laughs> it's infuriating and it's also um not accurate i mean no. we are thinking on the fly it's very complicated because at mm-hmm. the end of the day you're still held to some very rigid standards um and every kid has to get there like mm-hmm. everybody regardless of their experience, regardless of their language acquisition, regardless of their um, predisposition toward academia, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. 
Like they still have to get to the same standard of learning at the end of the day. And so it's a teacher's prerogative to figure out how to do that. Like that's how, that requires an immense amount of creativity. Absolutely. And skill. Like Mm -hmm. it's not, we are very skilled um, because the nature of our job requires it. And so one of the things that we thought about for this season of the podcast is that I, maybe the, um, notion that teaching it's not like it's brain surgery right like (laughs) yeah we're talking about just show up (laughs) to your lesson plan yeah oh god that sounds horrible (laughs) it sounds so boring (laughs) and at the end of the day it's not like you have achieved any amount of brain surgery like you have taught your classroom full of students you put your pen in your backpack and you go home Mm. and I think like no, like this is the point of the podcast is that actually, dude, it's everything like brain surgery. Mm-hmm. It's it's all of brain surgery with no incision, no tools, no medical training. Like it is all of those things because what even what you were talking about today is what's happening in someone's head. Mm-hmm. It's not a physical thing. It's not a physical manifestation of anything yet. It's what's happening in your head. Yep. It's what's happening inside is what you're thinking about. I am not measuring up. Therefore, I must not be good at this. Yeah. Therefore, I don't even have to try hard anymore because I already know that I am not good at this. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm just not that smart kid. I'm never going to be the honor roll kid. I'm never going to be this. I am not creative. Yep. Therefore, I don't have to work at being creative. I don't have to try and think of new ideas. I will just wander blundering around. <laughs> That's what I feel like I do have the time because I am not creative. And yep. those are mindsets. Those are not physical yeah. things. That's happening in your brain. And the work of an educator is to bring those things, those thoughts to light and mm-hmm. to say, let me show you. Let me challenge that assumption. Yep. So how do you design something that challenges that assumption that people have about themselves that's art like yeah that is art like coming up with a way there's so there's like this you know a lot of what's very like in vogue right now is human-centered design yeah or like um design thinking or um systems thinking like these sorts Mm -hmm. of things that we see as like prestigious and um intellectual work and one one like aha moment that I had recently was that teachers are kind of the original human-centered designers <laughs> like Absolutely. we have been student-centered designers <laughs> since day one yes. and human-centered design is about starting with the people that you are designing for um, and coming up with a product or service or environment or experience that speaks to their needs which like is there any better way to do de- to right. describe the craft of teaching. No, um, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> and so it's just, it's, I mean, it's, I think it's just unfair to teachers, the amount of, like you said, misconceptions and the widespread, like deprofessionalizing of the work because it really is demanding on every possible level. It's intellectually demanding, it's emotionally yes. demanding, it's physically demanding. Um, and that's what's so invigorating about it. That's why there's no um, there's no cap on the amount of conversations that you'll be able to have about it on this podcast. <laughs> we could be doing this forever. Yeah, 
because it's just endlessly interesting. It is. Um, And it changes every day. And mm -hmm. it depends on who walks in your classroom. I mean, everything you do in one year that demonstrates complete and utter success could be completely wrong the following year because you have a completely different set of kids. So even the years or the days that you experience 100% fruition of all of your thoughts and ideas, (laughs) even on those days, tomorrow could be complete and utter nonsense because it just depends on what the day brings you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of people say like teach kids not curriculum or um, prioritize kids over curriculum. And um, there's this one quote from Albert Einstein that I love so much that's like, um, you know, you, everybody's a genius, but if you try to teach a fish to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life believing in it's an idiot. And that's really the creative part of teaching is constantly responding to mm-hmm. the unique needs of the students that are in front of you. Um, and, and so it's never going to, like you said, it, no one day will be the same. No one year will be the same because even if you are teaching from a curriculum, like you're not, you're not just a conduit for that curriculum. You are figuring out how to make that curriculum meet the needs of your kids, tossing what you need to toss, redesigning what you need to redesign, making it work for the little humans that are in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's easy to get in a mindset of like the technical, like teaching is a technical task. Right. Um, or it's strictly execution, like you're just executing the curriculum that you have that you you've been handed from your superior. Um, but I think it really is important to reorient it as a creative discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's its best, it's creative. Um, and when it's really when it's really intentionally designed for the students that you have in your room, it's it's creative. <laughs> Definitely. And I think, you know, it's what we all want. That's the experience mm-hmm. everybody wants. We want to go to a place where people know who you are and they know what you like and they know what you can do. And then they can help you do the things you're not sure you can do yet. Like that is what 100% of us want. It's what we want in our work life. It's what we want in our home life. I mean, I had no idea what kind of parent I was going to be until I was a parent. (laughs) Yeah. And even then, there are some days where I think I know exactly what kind of parent I want to be for the kind of kids I want to have. But my kids that I do have are not always (laughs) the exact kids that I want to have. Yeah. So in like the ideal circumstance, like my children would always be exactly who who I want them to be. Mm -hmm. And then I would be the parent that I think I could be that Mm -hmm. I want to be but it doesn't always work that way because they are their own little people they have their own thoughts their own ambition their own ideals and so sometimes I'm like oh well I don't know how to parent you because you're not who I thought you were going to be right now you right now you are someone I don't even recognize (laughs) yeah so how am I supposed to operate and and these are my own flesh children you know (laughs) and I'm still thinking like I don't know how to parent you right now because this isn't what I was anticipating yeah um, and so for teachers, I think that that's like another level because these are not your f- flesh children. Yeah. Um, and so you don't know them as well as you might know your own mm-hmm. children. And so, of course, you're going to have days where you're like, I don't know how to teach you right now yeah. because I don't know who you are and right now. And that's okay. And that's okay. That's yeah. the whole point. It's like, that's I think we totally talk a lot okay. about like 
create creating learning environments where it's okay to make mistakes for kids to make mistakes. Yes. And if that's the case, it also has to be okay okay for teachers to make mistakes because education is a human enterprise. Like it's yeah. not engineering. It's gardening is one um, <laughs> analogy I've heard. You know, like you're not like yeah. you're not like attaching the leaves and painting right. and painting the petals and implanting the roots like you have to create the conditions for these kids to grow and learn um and each one needs a different set of conditions it's messy it's very 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 messy and it's okay to be in a state of becoming your best self as a teacher yes like you don't have to have it all figured out right now i definitely don't have it all figured are out. are you yet. listening uh, it's totally okay <laughs> like, if you are in the state you're gonna mess becoming. it up a lot yes <laughs> all the time and if you ever think that you've achieved perfection you're probably not striving anymore right i mean you know i i always think to myself and this is something i try to tell my kids too my children um guys it's okay if you make a mistake if you learn from it right Mm -hmm. if you keep making the exact same mistake that's not okay Mm -hmm. if you mess it up well good you learn something from that you have a baseline now to say like here's what happened this is where it fell short like i wanted this to happen and it didn't so now what do i need to do to change that right but if you just keep making the exact same mistake all of the time Mm mm-hmm that's not okay. Right. The making mistake That's is, the definition of insanity. <laughs> that's not all right. You can't Doing just the same screw thing it all up every day. Again. But yeah. when you mess up every now and then and you think like, well, I took a risk. It didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Now I know something I didn't know. Yeah. We start over tomorrow. Yeah. That's different from just not knowing what you're doing. Yeah. No, we have to normalize struggle because yes. struggle and learning are pretty much the same thing. Like if you're not, if it's not hard, if it's not a little bit hard, if it's not a little bit outside of your comfort zone, if you're just flying through it, you're probably not gaining any new knowledge or skills or mindsets. Right. Um, and so it has to be that way for teachers too. Yes. Like, and we talked about, we talked about that Margaret Mead quote that's like the, um, it goes something like, you can't you if you're going to give more than lip service to the creativity of kids then you have to recognize the creativity in teaching um and i think it's the same with mistake making like if we're going to honor that kids need to make mistakes in order to learn then we have to honor that teachers need to make Mm -hmm. mistakes in order to learn i will tell you one of the things that i really felt like i messed up on my first couple of years outside of the classroom was thinking that i felt like my schools did really well academically mm-hmm. and we weren't an IR campus uh, an Im- improvement required campus we were doing okay we met our state standards we were at the meet expectations we were rated acceptable um, and so I felt very comfortable in what we were doing and then I went to a data session and I sat down and we all got a data binder and it had everybody's data in it mm. and at the at the beginning on the surface I was like well look we're really in the middle of the pack. And middle of the pack is my comfort zone. I don't crave the attention, so I don't wanna be at the top. And I felt, I always felt like the risk for failure was greater if you were like number one or number two, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Then you can always lose your standing and and then what happened? Yeah, Under your watch, you've slipped right. to 10 
or you know I never wanted to be at the top of the pack I didn't want to be at the bottom either because I thought like that's intense focus right again with the attention <laughs> where like, can I everybody, go where, no where can I go me? where I just sit <laughs> and I can show up and do my thing and everything yeah, is you're comfortable not alone in that, though. so when I got the data binder and I looked in it and I looked at my school and I thought oh man I'm right where I want to be I'm in the middle of the pack I'm I'm not too high I'm not too low generally I'm going to be off the radar Mm -hmm. um nobody's going to come knocking down my door and saying what are you doing what are you not doing yeah and then I kept flipping so I was in a really good mood because I was like yes my master plan is working I'm achieving mediocrity I love it so I keep looking I keep flipping and then I look at the school that my children our students feed into Mm. and they are doing miserably Mm. like they are not it's not a little bit bad it's a lot a lot of bad and and I felt like a shift in responsibility where I thought oh my god I've really messed this up because we're doing fine we're just doing all right. I'm off the radar. Nobody's going to come looking. Yeah. But two years from now, when our students leave me, they leave our little bubble of doing fine. I have done nothing to set up this other person, a colleague. Yeah. You know, and now their their workload is doubled because I don't want to be on somebody's radar. And that was a mistake that I made mm-hmm. as a leader that really changed the way I started thinking about how I was going to hold myself yeah. accountable and how I was going to hold um, the school that I was managing accountable. Mm-hmm. And so I think had I not, and someone else really pointed it out to me, like we yeah. were talking and, and I was telling them what my plan was and they're like, Jen, that's an awful plan. Like yeah. that is just the suckiest, <laughs> worst thing yeah. that you could do. Um, but if I hadn't made that mistake, then I wouldn't have recognized it and and that is how I learned. And it is how, and it changed the conversation. It changed my conversations. The The next school that I went to, I was much more intentional about, look, yeah, like it or not, we need to be. Well, I think we, that also represents just a common thing that happens when you're doing the work day in and day out, which is kind of losing sight of the bigger picture and mm-hmm. And getting caught up in like numbers and data and rankings, which is very natural. And all those things are important and have their place. But it sounds like you you got tunnel visioned around that and then totally. someone had to like snap you out of it. Yes. Which I think is also part of what this podcast does is like, you know. So I you, will totally yeah. own that I made. I've made <laughs> Who hasn't? Oh my God. So I many mistakes. With the laundry list. I'm constantly. Every day of my life. Right? Every day I'm like, ah, hell. If you're not, uh, I'm so sorry. Um, (laughs) Yes. But it made me a better leader. Yeah. Like, I do believe that made me. Mm -hmm. It made me better for not just my school. It made me better for my colleagues, like the bigger picture colleagues, you know, that that I started to recognize I'm I am just one slice of this pie, but I'm still part of the whole pie. And if mm-hmm. the whole pie is bad, we got to throw the whole thing away and start over. Yep. I could do my best to make my slice of the pie yeah. a good slice of the pie. Yep. Yes. So anyway, I, that, I went off on a tangent about making <laughs> mistakes, but that was no, a mistake that no, I made that I, I think, really felt like, I think man. it's super important. And I think, um, I think having conversations around what you're doing well as an educator and what you're not doing well. I mean, those were those were the most important parts of my growth as a teacher and 
in every other role that I've been in as an educator is like constant reflection, Mm -hmm. always thinking about what's working and what's not working. And reflection is such an important part of learning. Like you said, like if you're not learning from your mistakes, it's probably because you're not pausing to reflect. Right. Um, And so I think that's another thing to think about in terms of like high quality teaching and learning experiences are are there opportunities for kids to pause and reflect on their learning mm-hmm. um on the mistakes that they made because often mistake making looks like you messed it up do it again right or you know but how are how are we how are we growing that muscle or building that muscle of like okay what didn't work what did work mm-hmm. how can i improve next time and really starting to like reflect and analyze where things went wrong yeah. Um, because it's imperative in your adult life, as it you just said. It is imperative. Like, it's yeah. imperative in your adult life to yeah. be able to do that. You know, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And, yeah, it's just it's really important to acknowledge when you when you are becoming. And I was mm-hmm. becoming a better leader. I mm-hmm. wasn't a great leader. Um, but I was becoming better every day. And yeah. had I not been able – had I not had good friends that were like, Jen – that's really shitty. Yeah, totally. <laughs> then I wouldn't. Then I would have stagnated. So you do need, you need the community of people. Yeah, to come around you and say like, no, it's okay. You're still becoming. Let me help you think through that, mm-hmm. and let me call you on it when it's not okay. Yeah. Um, and that's what teachers do. And I, I feel like that is being creative. It's looking at it and saying, hey, you know, I think it could be different if we thought about it differently. Yeah. If we if we looked at a different from a different angle mm-hmm. um that we could get really creative about this and figure out how we can help all mm-hmm. and not just ourselves yep totally and i think it also speaks to like what we have what we've talked about about soft skills and that like that reflection piece and that ability to identify like to that metacognition that's required to identify like what's working and what's not working what mm-hmm. are my assumptions what are my thought process processes that are holding me back like those are soft skills that, first of all, the creative process is ripe with opportunities to learn those right. soft skills. Um, and they're just so essential for yeah. lifelong success and for living like fruitful and fulfilling lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sometimes you were right at the beginning when you said that that's not always the primary focus in a, in a classroom. It's not always the f- primary focus when people are designing experiences for kids in class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the work that you're doing now with CREA really can kind of shine a light on that and create an opportunity for those experiences, number one, to be thought about, mm-hmm. and number two, to be designed, like artfully craft yeah. a, an experience mm-hmm. um, that that has creativity in mind, right? So Cray is not a school. No. <laughs> Cray is not a school. Um, it's not. So tell us a little bit more about, okay. like, okay, you you came back to San Antonio, you finished your yeah. graduate work, you've done all of this thinking about how school is creative, teachers are creative, mm-hmm. creativity deserves a rightful place at the forefront of conversations. Yeah. Um, and then you decided... You had an idea, <laughs> a creative idea, and tell us, tell us yeah, how did so that come to be? After working um, in a charter school network for three years, um, like I said, in August, I, I left um, and I started CREA, which currently is, it's only uh, seven months old, I think, if I'm doing the math right, which I'm probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very new, but yeah, it's functioning as an after-school program right now and 
Um, the main program that we're running, piloting in three schools is called the Creative Accelerator for Kids. And what it does is it gives kids opportunities to design and execute creative projects that are meaningful to them. So some kids will launch businesses, some kids will organize social movements, some kids will put on plays, some kids will design video games, some kids will write short fiction, some kids will make films. It really is about helping them identify like, what are your personal interests? And what are your um, natural aptitudes? What is it mm-hmm. that you're good at? And how can we bring those two things together to design a project that's meaning that you care about, that you're inherently engaged in, that you're intrinsically motivated to mm-hmm. pursue? And then in that process of designing those projects, um, we work with them on developing creative mindsets. So perseverance, initiative and responsibility, adapt- adaptability, resourcefulness, the things that are required to bring an idea right. to life. Um, and they also learn uh, sort of the pillars of the creative process. So we mm-hmm. walk them through eight pillars of creative process in order to bring that idea to fruition. Nice. So the idea is that they walk away, one, with a deeper sense of who they are creatively, what they care about, what they're interested in. And they also walk away with a framework for bringing an idea to life and a set of mindsets that will help them do that, persevere through all the challenges yeah. that come with bringing an idea to life. Um, yeah, because you can think of something, try it. it- epically fails yeah and then what yeah and then what and, and then, then what like <laughs> and then you try again yeah. and you reflect <laughs> on what worked and what didn't work yeah. and you apply those learnings to another attempt mm-hmm. um or you pivot and you try something else because it turns out that you weren't excited about that project to begin with you thought you loved you know you right. thought you were going to love coding and you don't yeah um and so it's been really interesting. Um, so what age groups are you yes. working with right now? So right now I'm working with fourth through eighth graders. Um, I have worked with three groups. So it's one that's sixth through eighth, one that's fourth and fifth, and one that's fourth through eighth. Um, and the kids are really, their projects are as diverse as they are. So tell um, me about like, what's been the most surprising project that you've seen? Oh, so I had one student who, I think I told you about this one. Um, I had one student who is a sixth grader with Uh Asperger's um, and is obsessed, obsessed with video games (laughs) Um, and also obsessed with YouTube, which if you're a middle school teacher, this probably doesn't sound unfamiliar to you. That's half of Um, three quarters of all sixth graders. um, And so part of the process, part of the eight pillars of the creative process that we walk through are um we do the first pillar is about identity which is um you are creative and you have something um valuable to offer creatively and then we move into inspiration so like what are the things in your life that inspire you what are the things that give you like a burst of energy that get you really excited that make you want to take action and for him it was like video games and youtube um those are the things that like really light him up um which i I think you can watch people play video games on YouTube. I know. Like, you're not even playing the game. Yeah. You're watching somebody play the game. Yeah. Which blows my mind. It's but a world I'm very My son, Jonathan, <laughs> I'm like, what are you watching? And he's watching someone else play a it's, game. It's a whole phenomenon. I don't understand it's, why, except that he says, you know, so he can learn how to play the game. Like, he's... I know, but I think there's something I, I, more to I, it than that. Yeah, you know, it's not strictly just like a how-to. Someone yeah. else play a video game, and it's not even that he sees the person playing the game. He's actually just watching the screen. Yeah. So the person that's playing the game is never on screen. Oh, really? Never. They're never on screen. It's just 
the game. That's even weirder. It's so weird. <laughs> it's just the game being played. Y'all, we have no idea what's going up with kids no these days. <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand it. At, that's why they say we can't predict the jobs of the future exactly. or the like, world that know. our kids I mean, are going to the thing graduate is that into. The people that are doing the playing on YouTube, they are making money doing Oh, that. absolutely, yeah. So... Back so anyway, story. so this Sorry. kid is obsessed with these two things, and I'm like sure from the beginning that his project is going to be either design a video game or create a YouTube series right. because those are the things that yeah. he's obsessed with. But through the process that we move through, it becomes clear that he actually – so he actually comes to understand that he wants to spend less time doing those things that those things are keeping him from engaging with the people he loves in meaningful ways. Which very interesting. For a kid with Asperger's is like yeah, a really very insightful. moving yeah. yeah, and insightful realization. Um, he's, he said, like, I want to spend more time with my mom and dad. And instead of spending time with them after school, I'm spending all my time in front of a screen. Wow. Um, and so what he ended up designing as his project was a toolkit for teens to help them track how they're spending their time to help them analyze how they're spending their time and then to help them plan how to better spend their time. Um, and the learning that happened in the process of him designing that was not just, you know, the reflection about himself and yeah. and um, what he's doing in his life that he likes and the things that he doesn't like so much, but it was also, you know, he had to learn how to code that thing yeah. and he had to vision what that thing was gonna look like. Um, and he had to persevere through the challenge of this is really freaking hard and much harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, and he had to be resourceful because we didn't have everything he needed yeah. to make it a reality. And um, so it was just really interesting. And it was really, it, I think one of the hardest things as a facilitator of these experiences, and I think also what can be really hard for teachers who are guiding kids through these like really deep transformational learning experiences is that you can feel very out of control. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I came in with an idea of what this kid was going to make, and then he wanted to make something completely different. And so it's about not placing value, so much value on the kid's idea, and not projecting your own right. ideas onto kids and really giving them the space to, to honestly and authentically make the things that they so how, feel called to make. How long did he spend he, working on that? With him, it was a nine-week process. Wow. Um, and at the end, his family was like, oh, my God, we've been trying to get him to have this realization forever. We've been telling him to stop playing video games. Um, um, and so it was really cool. But all the projects, I mean, the projects are so different. Like one one student that I'm working with right now is starting her own, designing her own ice cream shop. So like the interior of the ice cream shop, coming up with the flavors that are nice. going to be sold at the ice cream shop, the name, the logo, all that stuff. Um, and then other kids are putting on art shows because um, they see themselves as artists and want to mm -hmm. put on like a gallery show. So it's it's really diverse. It's like, you know, kids are, every kid is different. Um, and like your best self is different than my best self. Totally. Um, and so it's really about them understanding like who their, who their best, best self is and like exploring that through the creative process. I feel like that is also true of adults. Oh, totally. You yeah. Know that you sort of get into a track either mm -hmm. professionally or personally and you think this is who I am and then when you take a second and you step back and you think wait is this who I am mm -hmm. what am I really passionate for and what am I really passionate about and then and then what am I doing about those passions right mm -hmm. like that's that's I think true um for grown-ups as much as it is for kids absolutely um, I see it all the time with teachers when now that we are doing salt right and we are mm -hmm. we are 
San Antonio leaders and teachers is meeting pretty regularly. And we had a book club last night and somebody stopped me at the end and said, you know, I never anticipated how much I would enjoy coming to the events. Not because it, it, I enjoy it for reasons other than the ones that I thought. Like I thought I would get something out of reading the book. I thought I would enjoy having a glass of wine with colleagues. Mm-hmm. So, but it's just, it's so much more than that. It's, it's the me time. It's stepping away from my evening responsibilities every now and then and just mm-hmm. taking a second and thinking like I really care about this yeah and I can do something about it like tomorrow at school yeah like I I really care about what's happening um to our school to my colleagues to myself to my students like this is something I'm really passionate for Mm -hmm. and when you're in the daily grind you sort of forget that this is actually something you really want to do like you you really 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 want to Mm -hmm. do this Um, but you don't invest the time thinking through like the why right yeah the why is so important yeah the why is so important totally yeah and i see that light bulb i've seen that light bulb go off with the kids that i'm working with now and that like they just care so much about these projects like i'll have kids say to me like you know i was feeling really sick this afternoon i was in the nurse's office and i was going to go home but i knew that i had crea and so i wanted to stay or parents coming in and visiting and being like my kid is talking about this nonstop. like i wanted to come see what you guys are doing or just on i think it was wednesday a a girl said to me i'm really sad because we're not gonna have crea on my birthday (laughs) Oh, <laughs> um, because it feels like such a celebration for them to like have the space and time to pursue the things that they care about. And it adds so much, you know, because like the girl who's thinking of building an architectural model for her ice cream shop, suddenly math is necessary right, in that process. And mm-hmm. so I think even though, like you said, we often think about like these creative endeavors as separate from academics, they bleed together in such meaningful ways. Yeah. So how do people find you? Oh, good question. Mm-hmm. Um, the best way to find me, so I have a website, it's creacommunityconsulting.com. Um, right now, the best way to see what the work looks like in action is through following me on Instagram um, at Crea Community Consulting, um, and then also on Facebook. And it's Crea, C-R-E-A. C-R-E-A, which is the Latin root for create. And I realize a lot of people want to say Crea, but it's Crea. <laughs> <laughs> So learning through mistake making. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Crea Community Consulting. Yep. And find her on Instagram. Yes. And then what if what if people want to get you in schools? Like what's that process been like? How did you get are you linked up with a school right now? So I'm working th- I'm working through SA Youth with Hutchins Elementary. So um that's the stories I just told you about the kids who are mm-hmm. super excited come from that. I've also worked uh with Kip Camino. Um, and I am working with the circle school. So I'm in three very different contexts right now, a private school, a public school, and uh, a public charter school. Yeah. Um, and up to this point, I mean, these are technically pilots, like I said, right. this is super early on. Um, and I found those partnerships through active seeking, as we talked about <laughs> at the beginning of the po- podcast, like being very proactive. And I've been working in education for 10 years, so I have a, a network. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very open to partnerships at, at this time. So, mm-hmm. what if what if there's somebody who, like me, is thinking, "Well, I am not a creative, but I want to be more creative, mm-hmm. and I want to be more creative in my classroom." Mm. Like, what what kind of partnership could they 
find with you. Like if they are not yeah. if they're not ready to say like my school's willing to host you in an after school pilot. Yeah. Like what if they're just teachers that want to explore their own creativity? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great question. And I've thought a lot about potentially using the framework that I'm using with kids um, as or or doing PD with teachers to teach the framework that I'm using with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned the eight pillar creative process and the eight creative mindsets, um, which are like the foundation of the programming that I'm doing and and thinking about ways to integrate those into more traditional classroom spaces. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very open to that. But I, I just want to be frank with the fact that I'm very early on in this journey. <laughs> and so the shape that Craya is taking is happening in real time. Yes. <laughs> um, so it could evolve. It could evolve. And right now the primary... The, the primary way that CREA looks is after school programming, mm-hmm. this creative accelerator program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that I, I hope that Jen and others in the community will be partners with me in figuring out totally. what, what shape this will take. Yeah, and so we've talked about how cool it would be to offer an experience through SALT for some of our educators, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a focus group or whether it is yeah. something more specific like if mm-hmm. we had a cohort of teachers that said i really want to investigate this idea more yeah then reach out to us you know where totally, to find us please. you can find you know you can find stephanie on instagram you can find salt on instagram you can find me jen maestas mm-hmm. on instagram any one of those places you can send us a message and we can start thinking about how do we how could we integrate this yeah into the things that are already happening mm-hmm. um and how can we support the work that everybody else yeah, is doing? Yeah, and I want to hear from you guys about the ways that you're creative in your work already because that's another thing that I talk to kids and adults about a lot is like we think we're not creative, but we're creative in all sorts of ways we don't recognize. And so I would love to hear from teachers, like how are you be, being creative in your work on a daily basis? And how are you opening up opportunities for kids to be creative in your classrooms? I think that the teacher stories, is they're so underheard. Oh my God, yes. You know, like... I don't feel like teachers have a great platform for just sharing what happens during their day. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, our families know it, but yeah. I, I think they know it at nauseum, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, if I tell you one more school story, if I tell Carlos one more school story, <laughs> you know it's what like, I mean? I like, it. it's like, I know, I know, I get it. I understand. I And my, my poor children, I'm always like, what did you do in this class about this? You know, like, I know, this I'm is going to be such an I annoying test mom. all my theories on my own children. <laughs> so I think our friends and families know it at nauseum, but like at, in mass, I just don't think that we say it enough mm-hmm. that teaching is an intellectual and creative profession Mm -hmm. and that it is hard work but it's so rewarding yeah such a rewarding work that we get to do so definitely we want to hear more stories i want to hear your story yeah you know where to find us Mm -hmm. send us your story and ask us how we can help you like give us some pointers like what do Mm -hmm. you want to know do you want to know how to get in con do you want to know how to start an after-school program for your kids Mm -hmm. do you want to know how to um create a professional learning community centered yeah. around design yeah um just let us know we, yeah we really are genuinely asking because we really are wanting to tap into Absolutely. ways that we can connect 100 percent. right yes yes like <laughs> and we'll bring wine unless it's to your campus we can't do that no that's scratch illegal. that we will not bring wine to your campus that is illegal but however <laughs> anywhere else we will bring you wine. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there anything? Um, I mean, I'm just thinking right now that I would love to partner with teachers. I would love to potentially figure out ways to pilot 
CREA programming with teachers um, in ways that work for them. And I, I'm being very frank right now about where I am in my process and that yeah. um, a lot of this is in development. Sure. And so I mean, we're building the airplane as we fly it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is common when you are starting something yeah. new. Um, but like I said, I mean, we talked about human-centered design. We talked about student-centered design. I think as someone who's designing educational experiences for kids, mostly to happen after school, it's important for me to know, Mm -hmm. to think about my end users, which are students, but could also potentially be teachers. And so I just always love connecting with teachers and I am forever a teacher. And so if anyone wants to talk about these ideas, I I couldn't emphasize enough how excited I would be to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm the same way. I always tell people... That it, I, I think I'll forever say I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, yeah, that is what I do. Yeah, I'm a totally. teacher, and I like to talk to teachers. Mm-hmm. So any anybody out there that wants to come and, and talk to us, let us know. Um, anything else we think? I mean, we are clearly making a case that teaching is creative. Yeah, that teachers are creative, educators are creative. I keep saying teachers. I really mean teachers with a capital T. That encompasses all of the people that work on a campus Mm -hmm. because I do think that they are all teachers. We are all teachers. So I'm including in teachers, principals, counselors, librarians, um, everybody, everyone that's on a campus. But is there anything else? I mean, that that's the case we're making. You are. I mean, I think, I think the big takeaways here are like, what would change in your practice as a teacher? If you thought of your, uh, of yourself as creative, Uh, if you thought of yourself as the designer of a student's learning experiences, as the person who creates the conditions for students to thrive, what would change? And how would that reorient, how would reorienting your role in the classroom in that way um, make a difference for kids? Um, And then for administrators, how would positioning your teachers as as creative, how would positioning your teachers as designers, Mm -hmm. um, how could that potentially change the experience and the culture at your school and impact kids. Um, and and then I think that also the big, one of the big things we talked about is like, it's okay to feel like you're in a state of becoming and it's okay for this to feel messy and it's okay for this to feel uncomfortable because that's how it feels for our kids to be in sure. vulnerable learning experiences. And I think it's actually helpful for us to put ourselves totally. in those learning experiences because it reminds us what it's like. Yeah. To be, yeah. a, to be a novice, to be someone who's learning mm-hmm. something new. Mm-hmm. Even is, though our kids have been in school for a long time. Like my my 10th grader, he's been in school since kindergarten, pre-kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a lot of years of school. But mm-hmm. 10th grade is new to him. Mm-hmm. So, he, in many ways, he's experienced at school. In yeah. many ways, he's a novice. His yep. 10th grade is totally new to him. Um, so, even if you're a, an experienced teacher, this year might feel very new to you yeah because you might have some situations that mm-hmm. you've not had to deal with ever or in a really long time and yep. that's that's the cool thing about our job is that every year is new yep so we're we're talking even to our not our expert teachers totally even even we sometimes feel like this is so new to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you've talked about that in your transition is like, totally. you feel like you've been in education for how many years? This is my 19th year. Yeah. And when it starts to feel stale, that's, I mean, 
there's always something new. That always. It, can, it can always be reinvigorated because there's so much happening, especially in San Antonio and edu- in the education You um, guys, ecosystem. we are so lucky to live in San Antonio right now and, and be educators. Yeah. There's so place to be. much going on. Yeah. It's kind of mind-boggling. It really is. I love it. I, I love, love it. Too. It's a fast pace. Everything's changing. <laughs> There's so much good work happening. There There's really is. There's a lot of good work happening. And I am really thankful that I have this opportunity to bring mm-hmm. a couple of people on and tell us about the good work that's mm-hmm. happening. Um, if you have a suggestion for who else should be on, send it to me. <laughs> um, I just want to say again, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me. It's thank you been so, so much. And thank you to the previous um, guests because I've learned so much from them. And um, I'm just really grateful to to have been asked to be on it. You know what I forgot to mention? What? You have a podcast. Oh, I do have a podcast. Oh, yeah, you have a podcast. (laughs) I do have a podcast. So I have a podcast called School Stories. Um, It's about creative people and their relationships with school, how school does or does not support um, the growth of creative people. Um, and it's available on iTunes under School Stories. And we've had some overlapping guests, really only one overlap. We had, yeah. I had Ryan and Joanna from The Gathering Place who are amazing. Um, but yeah, you can find it there if you're interested in listening. I just finished my first season. Yay! So we are fellow webcasters, I mean podcasters, <laughs> and you really should listen. She's also a writer, you guys. Oh. Nice. It's nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah. I've written a couple articles about this topic, so I don't know if you have show notes or something, you can put them in there, but otherwise, Sweet. you can also just Google my name. Yep, <laughs> and then there they will be. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening to us. Thank you for coming on the show. Of course, I appreciate it. I love the work that you're doing. Thank you. I'm happy to support it. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you supporting me too. Oh, Which always. you do tremendously. <laughs> I think it's mutual, so yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And let us know what you guys are thinking. Yep. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.